0: Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. We've been doing a series of Romans all summer long, and so this is the second last one. Next week is our last Wednesday night service. It will also be our last in this series on the book of Romans. And uh, and so we've been calling this series Romans in Reverse because we're looking at the meaning of Romans, which is often a complicated book. You know, Christians see it as a complicated book, a deeply theological book, a hard-to-understand book. But as we've been seeing, if you look at Romans through the lens of the ending, the problem Paul is trying to solve, the rest of the book just becomes much more simple and practical and wonderful. And so we're, we've been calling this series Romans in Reverse. Now, today we're going to be tackling Romans chapter 10, but I want to start by asking a big question that most of you, I hope, have at least at some point wondered about or been concerned about or worried about. And it's this question, what happens to people who die without ever hearing about Jesus? What happens to people who die without ever hearing about Jesus. Raise your hand if you've ever wondered about that question. Have you ever wondered about that question? I, I hope so, because it's a, it's a problem, right? What happens to an indigenous person who's born into some tribe, let's say, in the Amazon rainforest, for example, and is raised their whole life by good people, good family that loves them, And they just never, they don't know anything about Jesus. How would you know about Jesus if nobody tells you about Jesus? So they grow up their whole life. They live their life as best they can. They follow their God or gods as best they can. And then they die. And then what? Do they stand before Jesus? Does he say, well, too bad. Off to hell with you. Is that what happens? What about the more than 1 billion Muslims in the world right now? Many of them very sincere in their belief. What would would you believe if you grew up in a Muslim country? Isn't it interesting that we're we're Christians here for the most part? If you're not, we're glad to have you here. But most of us in here, I'm assuming, are Christians. But isn't it interesting that we all grew up in a Christian community? And many of us grew up in Christian families. Kind of gave us a bit of a head start, don't you think? But what would you believe if you had been born into a loving, good Muslim family, and you were taught everything totally the Muslim way instead of the way of Jesus? Don't you think that most of us would probably be Muslims right now? It's probably true. This church doesn't exist in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, for a reason, so what happens to those Muslims, more than a billion of them? What happens to those Muslims who grow up in a Muslim home? They just teach their kids what they know. Their kids learn what their parents, how, the only thing their parents have ever known. And they think, you know, it's, it's Muhammad and, and it's Allah and it's all these different things. And the Quran is the Bible. How, how would you know? So what happens to someone like that who grows up their whole life like that? And then they die and they never have like a real chance. I mean, there's lots of them that never hear even once about Jesus. But even imagine the ones who hear once. Is that even a real chance? Like, if you were in the mall, if you were in St. Fatale Mall this weekend, and a Muslim came up to you with a tract and said, here's, you know, the equivalent of the Romans Road. Here's three reasons why you should be a Muslim and how to get saved as a Muslim. Like, let's say that happened. Would you be convinced by one conversation? God's wired us to be Relational. So what happens to these people who don't get the same chance we do? They either never once get to hear the name of Jesus or they never get a real chance to respond to the gospel. And it's not just Muslims or maybe indigenous people living in a, in a, in a rainforest somewhere or wherever. What about the millions of people this last century have grown up in communist countries where they were taught from the earliest ages what, atheism or whatever, or Hindus in India? Did you know that right now, there are two billion people. The best estimates are there are two billion people who have never heard about Jesus. Now, I'm not even including, there's several other billion people who have maybe heard once or maybe heard, you know, or gotten a track. They, they may not have had a great chance to actually respond. But there's two billion people on the earth right now, by the best estimates, who have never even heard the name of Jesus. What happens to those people? Do you know how big a number this is? I mean, this is a huge, huge number. Did you know that if these two billion people who have never even once heard the name of Jesus, if they would all get in a line and hold hands, that line would stretch for two million kilometers. I just get like a dead stare. Nobody even understands what that means. Two million kilometers. Okay, so that's a couple of times the Vancouver and back, right? No. <laughs> Two million kilometers. That means if you just line them up, you took every person who hasn't even heard once the name of Jesus, has no idea about Jesus. How could they ever receive Jesus? How could they ever put their faith and trust in him? They've never even heard of him. If you put them, just line them up one after another, hold hands, they would go around the earth at the equator, not once, not twice, 50 times. And even still, you're like, just boggles the mind. How many of you have ever gone, and we just went for our holidays, we went on a road trip to Southern Ontario. How many of you have ever done a long road trip with kids? (laughs) Right? Our kids are actually amazing. My one daughter this year, Eden, won what I call the Iron Butt Award. She got in the van at 6 in the morning the one day, and she did not get out even to go to the bathroom for 10 hours. She just stayed in the back seat. Yeah, that's amazing. That is, it's amazing. The Iron Butt Award. Okay, now imagine the longest day of driving you've ever done in one day, just straight one shot. Maybe 20 hours for some of you, maybe 22 hours. Now imagine you are driving 100 kilometers an hour because you wouldn't speed because you believe in Jesus. But 100 kilometers an hour, you are driving in your minivan. You have the cruise set, you do not stop for gas, you do not stop for food, you do not stop for water, and you drive for 20 hours straight, and there's a line of people along the road, just a blur of faces, thousands of people you're passing. After one day, 20 hours of driving, you would have passed 2 million people, which sounds like a lot, and it is a lot, but you would still have 1 billion people 998 million to go you would have to drive for two and a half years straight without ever stopping oh people like this and not one of them has ever heard about Jesus so this isn't I think some of us Christians we get this idea because we're around Christian people and most of us grew up in Christian families and most of us live in Christian communities that's certainly true for most of us here right now today We have this idea that everybody has had a chance, and the only people who don't accept Jesus are people who just refuse, they're probably hard-hearted, and in fact the matter is there are billions of people who don't even get a chance. So what's the answer to that? Now, many Christians would say, and I agree with them, we need to send more missionaries, the good kind, not the ones who are abusive or condescending or any of that but ones who are actually kind and loving and don't force Western culture on, but they actually just literally bring Jesus to these people, and that is true and good. Yes, we need to send more missionaries, but if we think that that is the answer to this problem, we don't realize how big the problem really is. Let me show you a number. $117 Does any of you know what this number represents? Yes. Jake Giesberg, there's your guy for locksmithing right there. Okay. (laughs) I should not do that from uh, in a sermon. I'm sorry. (laughs) But he answered it. So he's going to heaven. But okay. So 117 billion. That's this is the amount of people who have ever lived. There are about 8 billion people on the earth right now. That's a lot of people. But the amount of people on the earth right now, 8 billion, is dwarfed by the amount of people who've ever lived. We are just a thin sliver of the amount of human beings that God has created in time. That means 109 billion, and you'll notice it's in red, already dead. Which, of course, as humans, we have to laugh at because otherwise we'd have to cry. The vast majority of these 109 billion people who have ever lived, never. The vast majority. I'm not talking like, oh, it's like 60-40 or 70-30. The vast majority of these 109 billion people never got to hear about Jesus. Many of them lived all over the world in places long before Jesus came along. And others, over the last 2,000 years, lived in places like Asia, Africa, North America where Christian people didn't even realize it existed until just a few centuries ago. In Australia. And guess what? No amount of missionaries can reach the ones that are this number that never got to hear about Jesus. So the question is, again, yes, do we need to send out missionaries? Yes. Again, good ones who actually love people and love Jesus. But even the missionary thing doesn't, isn't going to solve this. You know, I know of Christians literally... Who have worried about the question how big is heaven gonna to need to be but with the way that some Christians think about hell a bigger worry might be how big is hell going to need to be what happens to these people and what we think about this matters because it matters for how we think about God and how we think about God matters a lot Because it'll determine, in large part, how we behave towards people. Well, what does the Bible say about this? Because for us as Christians, that's where we want to start. And in particular, to hear Crossview in the summer of 2023, we're in the book of Romans. So the question is, does Romans say anything about these 109 billion people? And plus the 2 billion right now who've never heard of them. Well, Romans does have a lot to say about salvation. So let's go and look there. And in this message today, we're going to be in Romans 10. Romans 10, what does Romans have to say about salvation? Romans 10 is a lot about salvation. Paul says this, two very famous verses, verses 9 and 10. He says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is the good news. This is good news. You don't have to do You don't have to hurt yourself. You don't have to be a perfect human being because that's impossible. You don't have to do all kinds of rituals and sacrifices. The only thing you need to do to be saved is just believe in your heart. Just trust in Jesus and you can be saved. That's good news. And then Paul goes on to just really drive this home. This is what this whole chapter is about. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So this is very, very good news. It really is. This is something that should make us as Christians feel very grateful. You don't have to earn your salvation before God because you couldn't. So this is good news. You don't have to go through all kinds of rituals. You don't have to be perfect, again, because you couldn't. You just literally have to believe. And if you have... God gives you the gift of eternal life. That's amazing, and we should all celebrate that. We should feel grateful for that. It really is that easy. That's what the Bible says. Now, in terms of our question, though, what about the people who've never heard? The problem with this, what Romans 10 is talking about here, is in order to believe and be saved, which is amazing, you have to actually know who Jesus is. You have to hear about him and know about him so that you can believe in him. So what is this? What would Paul do? Is this a formula that excludes people? Is this a formula? So this is good news. This is, you just have to believe and you can be saved. But now Christians ask a different question than what Paul is talking about. We'll get to that in just a moment. And we say, well, okay, but what happens to people who've never heard? And some Christians say, well, this is a formula. Therefore, if they don't actually believe in that and they have the name Jesus and they don't actually specifically trust in that name Jesus, then they can't be saved because that's what the passage says. Okay. Well, first we have to say, okay, well, is, is that what Paul would say? in this passage like what is the question that he's answering because he's writing romans 10 for a reason so we have to know what question is he answering and of course as you can probably figure out we know right off the bat he's probably not answering the question about the 109 billion probably that's not in there but depending on what he's what questions he's answering we have to know how we apply that to our question because we're bringing a new question to the bible So what question is Paul asking? Well, we have to go back to the context. This is what we've been doing every single week in this series. All right? What is the big problem? Why is Paul writing the letter of Romans in the first place? And the big problem, as we've been saying over and over again every week, there is ethnic tension and disunity in the Roman churches between Jewish Christians and Roman Christians. There's this unity. They don't like each other. One of the big reasons why they don't like each other is the Jewish Christians were trying to force the Roman Christians to get circumcised and do all the Old Testament Jewish laws, Sabbath keeping and all, sort, all that stuff. So these Jewish Christians, they are real believers. And they're excited about the Messiah. you got to believe in Jesus. But they have a plus on the end of it. Because they've been raised on the Old Testament scriptures. So they would go on missions trips and they would reach out to these Gentiles, these non-Jews, Or the and these Romans and they would tell them, You gotta believe in Jesus and also you gotta get circumcised with the Sabbath keeping. It's important. Believe in Jesus, that's most important. But you got all this other stuff too. Well of course the Romans are turned off by that. I gotta get circumcised to get saved. Numbers plummet. So there, so now Paul, and then now there's conflict between these two, and you know, they're judging each other and despising each other. We've been talking about that, right? So Paul is speaking to this. This is the question. This is the problem. Now, someone hasn't written to him and said, what happens to people who have never heard? He's not thinking about that question. He's thinking about this question. Do Gentiles need to get circumcised and follow Old Testament laws in order to be saved? All of Romans 10 is about this question. You can read it. Go home. I don't have time to go through every verse of it. I'll just show you the intro. Remember that there's not chapter divisions in Scripture. So the intro to chapter 10 is actually at the end of chapter 9. And all of 10 is talking about this. But the intro to chapter 10 is here. And Paul says some crazy stuff, at least crazy for that time, that day and age. He says, but the people of Israel, so he's talking to the Jewish people here again, who pursued the law, all right, the law that includes the circumcision, the Sabbath keeping, all the eating stuff, all that stuff. So the people of Israel, that's the Jewish people, ethnic Jewish, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, okay? We could talk about that as salvation. They thought, based on what they read in Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy, they thought, based on that, that the way I'm God's people, if I'm a child of Abraham, is I get circumcised, I do these laws, I do the Sabbath, But the people of Israel who pursued the laws, the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Now that was a stunning, crazy thing to say to Jewish people who've been raised on the Bible and who do believe in Jesus. But he says, all that stuff you've been reading about, and the people of Israel actually didn't make it. They didn't attain. They were trying to get saved through that stuff. And he says, they're failing. Why? Why are they failing? Now he introduces this idea, which for us as Christians, 2,000 years later, is like old hat. Oh, it's by faith. Of course, we knew that. We grew up in church learning that. For these people, revolutionary. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith. So Paul's argument here is, now that Jesus has come, we have to go back and reinterpret the Old Testament because it was hidden from our eyes before. So we have to reread it with new eyes. We couldn't see this before, but it was always meant to be by faith. It was always meant to just be a trust thing. And remember, he's answering this question because they're fighting in the churches and the Jews are trying to force the Romans to do this by faith, but as if it were by works. And now he spends all of chapter 10 doing his long arguments like Paul does, quoting a scripture here, quoting a scripture there, trying to convince these Jewish Christians that all you have to do is have faith, and then finally, he does all this arguing. His big answer in Romans ten is no: salvation is by faith alone, no circumcision, no keeping or all these things required. This is the big answer. This is what Romans ten is about, which he says in our famous verses: If you declare with your mouth, "Jesus is Lord," and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all you need to do. Nothing else required. This is the question he's answering. Now, we come to it 2,000 years later, as we should, because, of course, we're living in a different time. We're living in a different culture. We're living in a different place. Because, of course, we ask the Bible different questions than the original questions. So we have to do a little bit of work. So this is not our question. You know, we weren't worried about that. But now we come with a new question. The new question is, what happens to all those billions of people who have never heard about Jesus? In fact, the vast majority of human beings who have ever lived, the vast majority, we are part of a small piece of the pie. The vast majority of human beings who have ever lived never had a chance to hear about Jesus. What happens to them? So we ask a new question. Well, and this is where we, you know, we're doing a little bit of work. It's a little bit hard. It's not as easy as just quoting a verse here or quoting a verse there. Some Christians think, well, Paul would answer the exact same thing. It's a formula. If they didn't declare and they didn't believe, it kind of stinks. But I guess they're out. But do we have to believe that? Is that what God... Is really like well we can ask another question does Paul anywhere in his writings or helpfully because we're in Romans does he ever talk about anyone who never heard about Jesus but managed to please God or have a relationship with God anyway does Paul ever do that oh actually He has a whole chapter about it. There's a guy that Paul's actually obsessed with in all of his writings who never knew Jesus, yet who Paul argues over and over and over again was able to please God. In fact, this guy who didn't believe in Jesus not only didn't believe in Jesus, he didn't believe in only one God. He actually believed there was multiple gods. His name was Abraham. Some of you were ahead of me already, right? And Paul has a whole chapter about him in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, let's just look at this line right here. Believed God. When we Christians hear those two words together, believe God, we have a whole, there's a whole trunk full of packing, In those two words believe God we have a whole bunch of things in there that means you believe that Jesus is God that means you believe there is only one God he came down to earth as Jesus he died on the cross he rose from the dead for our sins and that's how we're saved when we talk about believing God that's what we mean Abraham didn't believe any of those things Abraham wasn't a bad guy but he was a product of his time He believed in lots of different gods, and obviously he never believed in Jesus because Jesus was a couple thousand years away when he lived. And yet, Paul uses him as an example of faith. I just want to, I want to touch a little bit here because we have to enter Abraham, you have to understand that Abraham wasn't just pre-Christian. We kind of read back in the Old Testament and make all the Old Testament saints pre-Christian. Like, they basically had Christian beliefs. They just didn't have the name Jesus yet. But you have to understand, these were actually pagan people. And I can show you a number of passages of how they believed in multiple gods. I'm going to go to Joshua when Joshua talks about the ancestor of Abraham. Because you have to understand that Abraham believed in multiple gods. He did not believe in one God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham... And Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods, plural. Now do you think Abraham grew up in a family of pagans that believed in multiple gods? But no, no, he's Abraham, so he only ever believed in one. He believed in the same things his parents believed in. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and let him throw Canaan and gathered him many descendants. By the way, when God asked Abraham to leave his family behind, He wasn't just asking him to leave his family behind. He was asking him to leave his gods behind. Which might in some ways, for a person living thousands of years ago, been even more difficult. Now when Joshua is saying this, you have to understand, this is Joshua living a long time later. Joshua himself still believes there are many gods out there. Look what he says in this passage. Here's one of the most famous verses from the the book of Joshua. It's going to come right after this. I'm going to show you. Verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Notice he doesn't say there's only one God, so serve God or don't serve him at all. He assumes there's lots of gods out there. The key is just serve the right one. Serve our God. Serve Israel's God. Think of how pagan that is to our Christian sensibilities. You can't be a Christian if you believe stuff like this. You're right. And yet God's saving these people in the Old Testament. Well, we'll get to that. I'm jumping ahead of myself. So Joshua says, choose. You have to choose which God you're going to serve. Well, that assumes there's more than one. Whether the gods your ancestors served, like Abraham and his family beyond the Euphrates, or you could choose the gods of the Amorites. Here's one of the most famous verses from the Old Testament, we Christians love to quote, in whose land you are living, but as for me, right, this is the one we love, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua believes there's many gods. For him, the point is just serve the right one. We're Israelites, so we serve Israel's God. Now, here we are thousands of years later, and of course, we know better. Thanks to God's word, all this Extra awesome, amazing revelation we've gotten. Jesus came to earth. We know there is only one God and he created everything that is and there aren't all these other gods fighting with each other. We know all of that now. And that's important to us. If someone wants to be saved and we're correct when we do this, when you talk to someone who doesn't know about Jesus, we talk about there's, a, there's one God and we talk about he came down and, he, and took on flesh and his name is Jesus. That's the message of salvation. It's so wonderful and that's the message we share. Now someone said to you, I know of someone who believes there's many gods and doesn't believe in Jesus. Are they going to heaven? We would say no, except we do know of someone that believed those things. And there isn't a person here, I don't think, that doesn't think Abraham's going to be in heaven with us. Anybody here think Abraham's not going to be in heaven with us? What about Moses? What about David? What about Noah? What about Samuel? We won't get into some of the shady characters where we really don't know. (laughs) Maybe Samson. huh? Hopefully. Right? Yet all of these guys and gals totally believe some crazy stuff. And they never believed in Jesus. But here's what we Christians believe. Here's what we believe. We still believe that it's Jesus who saves them. They just didn't know the name of Jesus. We believe that Jesus saves the Old Testament saints even though they never heard of him. Because this is important. Why does Jesus save these guys? They didn't believe in him. None of them prayed a prayer. Abraham never said, Jesus, would you please forgive me of all my sins and come into my heart? He never prayed that prayer. He never did the formula. He never did Romans 10. This is why I'm convinced Paul wasn't thinking of Romans 10 as a formula because in the same book, he's got examples of people living by faith who didn't do the formula. Because they attempted to follow the little bit of revelation they did have about God. They didn't have much. But they followed what they had as best they could, and God, in his mercy, saves them. And we believe that about all the Old Testament saints. So then the question is, well... Does this same truth apply to the billions of other people who haven't heard? Now, this is where we get into, there's different kinds of Christian truths and beliefs. There's truths and beliefs in the Bible that I can show you a verse. John 3, 16, does God love the world? He loves the world, right there, God loves the world. I can't show you a verse that tells you exactly exactly, what happens to people who've never heard. But it's a quick question that bothers many Christians and it's a question that should bother us because if we actually say, if we love people and love God, how do we wrestle? How do we go out and have Sunday lunch at McDonald's or Smitty's or wherever you go for Sunday lunch and just kind of laugh and talk and carry on if 109 billion people never had a chance and are just going to be shipped off to a horrible ending. What happens to these people? And what kind of God do we serve? So I can't tell you, I can't show you a verse for sure. I can show you three Christian options. I can tell you what I think. And then I think from these things, we can learn a little bit about what God is. I'll just show you this very quickly. Over the last 2,000 years, lots of Christians have wrestled with this and there's more than just these three options, but these are kind of three of the basic ones, three of the main ones. One way that Christians have dealt with this question is called exclusivism. Only people who explicitly believe in Jesus will be saved. Lots of good people, lots of Jesus-loving people uh, lo- you know, hold to this, and they would just say, and they wouldn't be flippant about it, many of them, I hope, the good ones wouldn't. They would say, well, I guess it's just God's will. 100 billion people, 110 billion people. They didn't have a chance. Sad, but they're doomed. But that isn't the only position you can hold. Inclusivism would say that anyone, this would be the one that looks at the Old Testament saints and says, well, if if Jesus could save them without them having to pray to Jesus... How is someone in the Amazon jungle or who grows up in a Muslim family, how is that any different than Abraham was in his day? Anyone who seeks the tru- for truth in God as best they can, if they sincerely seek for truth, Jesus will make a way to save them, just like he did with Abraham and David and Moses and all of them. Another way of saying that would be anyone who would have accepted Jesus if they had been given a chance will be saved. God knows the heart. That's another option. Personally, I'm giving myself away over here. I like this one, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. There's a last one that is universalism. And I know for a lot of Christians in this area, this is like a scary one. It's like, okay, these are real Christians. Bad people. <laughs> mm. These are people who believe everyone will ultimately be saved by Jesus. When people see him as he really is, they will repent and be saved. I just want to tell you something here. I want you to know that all three of these have got real Christians who love Jesus with real scriptures behind them. I can't tell you for sure which one it is, but I just want to show you. I want to pick the one that probably most people here would least think was true. And I'll just show you that there are lots of Jesus-loving, smart people who believe this one. It's not my position, but they have some good verses. And actually, I think we can learn some things about God from them. Romans 5, kind of like this book this summer. Romans 5 is a fascinating passage Repulses this, and universalists love this passage. But the gift is not like the trespass. He's talking about Adam here and how Adam screwed everything up for us. He says, for if the many, now I'm going to ask you there, right there, When Paul says, the many, who does he mean? He means all human beings. How many of us were impacted by Adam's disobedience? Some of us or all of us? Okay, you weren't totally sure that was the right answer. Let's just try it one more time. How many of us were impacted by Adam's sin? All of us. And Paul calls all of us the many. For if the many died by the trespasses of one man, Adam. Now look what Paul's going to do here. And again, I'm not arguing for this. I'm just showing you that there are some interesting Bible verses in there and I think we can learn some things about God through them. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, here the one man is Adam, here the one man is who? Jesus. Overflow to how many people? The many Now for universalists, this is a very, and actually I find this passage really wonderful too. But for universalists, they have a good point with this passage. If we interpret the many who were impacted by Adam's sin as all of us, why wouldn't we do the same with Jesus? There's a bit of some cool parallelism there. Adam screwed everything up by his sin. Jesus saves everything by his obedience. It's actually a beautiful passage. People who believe this aren't believing it because they hate the Bible. There's a lot of sincere Jesus-loving people who believe it because of the Bible. One more verse they often use is this one. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, how many? All die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Again, my point here is, first of all, the Bible makes some pretty amazing promises. Second of all, my point here is, Sometimes Christians believe things that you've been told makes them evil and it's not true. There's some wonderful Jesus-loving people who believe that the Bible is God's word who believe this. Now, let me tell you why I believe what I believe. And I'm going to finish this with, I think, just something so beautiful about who God is. For me, when I look at these three things, I think about choice. This is not proof. If you got a smarter person than me, than me from this side of things, they would make it sound good. If you got a smarter person than me from this side of things, they would make it sound good. I'm just telling you, well, I've landed where I land. I feel like everyone should get a choice. I can't prove that to you. It just makes sense to me. And I feel like exclusivism doesn't give everyone a choice, because how did you get a choice if you never heard about Jesus? You never got a choice. You were doomed from day one. But I kind of feel like universalism doesn't truly give people a choice because in the end, everybody ends up choosing Jesus. For me, inclusivism respects the choice of people the most, I think, at this point in my life. That's kind of the one I see the most and it matches up with what we see in the Old Testament. Here's a fact we can all Rely on, though. What is God's heart? This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants how many people? All people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I think a lot of us have a picture of God that he's looking for excuses to punish us. Has any of you ever felt, I won't ask for a show of hands on this one, but has any of you ever felt or walked around subconsciously feeling like God's looking for excuses to punish you? He's looking for excuses to condemn you. You know what this verse tells us? Some of the other verses I've been showing you? He wants all people to be saved. God's not looking for, con- for excuses to condemn you. He's looking for excuses to show you mercy. He's not like Satan. Satan's looking for the details. I want to accuse. I want to condemn. I want to get you. God is like a mother not a tired-out mother who wants to kill one of her kids, but doesn't. But he's like a mom. He's going to give chance after chance after chance. Let me finish this with a story. What would you do if someone told you they knew a man? They knew a man who was an incredibly violent man. He murdered more than one person. He committed adultery. He had sex with many different women and never repented of it. In fact, to the end of his life, he was sleeping with women who were not his wife. This man believed in multiple gods. The God he followed, he believed was so violent that he wrote down prayers where he asked this God to do harmful, horrible things to his enemies. And this man never accepted Jesus into his life. If someone told you, I know a man like that, are they going to heaven? You would say, absolutely not. We would not let this man anywhere near your kids and children's ministry. I can assure you. This man would not be able to volunteer in this church anywhere. I'm a very merciful pastor. I would probably have meetings with him, but I don't think I could really help him. You say, surely a man like that would not ever be in heaven. But that man was King David. If God, and I don't think there's a person here today who thinks King David isn't going to be in heaven. Let me tell you something right here. Who wants all people to be saved? David's not getting into heaven because God's looking for reasons to nail people. David's going to be in heaven because God's looking for for reasons to save people. And all he expected from David was for him with his convoluted picture of what God is like and his very convoluted picture of what morality looks like. David followed. And by the way, I'm not commending and neither is God. The stuff he did and when men do stuff like he does, they should be punished. This is not an excuse, by the way, if you're an abusive man listening to this sermon. Nobody here, I'm sure, is like that, but maybe online. If you're an abusive husband and you were listening to this sermon, this is your reason. Oh, David didn't went to heaven. I can do this. No, actually your wife should just go somewhere safe and she should get out of the house and she should not live with you while you're like that. That's just right there. But if God can save a guy like that, you don't think he wants to save all people. So here's final thought to think about. I think God's mercy is going to surprise us on judgment day. I think I'm convinced, based on some of the pieces of work in the Old Testament whom he saved, I'm convinced his mercy is going to exceed our expectations. What does that mean for how you feel about what God feels about you? And what does that mean about how we should feel about others? Why don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father in heaven, your mercy is going to blow us away. It's going to blow us away. I thank you, Jesus, that we can trust that you are not looking for reasons to hurt people or judge people. You are looking for reasons to save people. Thank you for your word, which is often messy and sometimes hard to understand. But we can approach it, and we can find your grace in it, and we can trust that you love human beings. And there's 117 billion, roughly, that you've created so far, and you keep creating more. And you love every single one of us. You don't know a single one of us that you hate or are against. And I thank you for that, Jesus. Now, if only our actions could model what you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.